0: This week on Myths and Legends, Jason is sick. But don't worry, he recorded the episode before that. So I'm just here doing the intro. We're back this week in the stories from the Grimm Brothers. We'll see how berating everyone and everything around you might make you a few enemies. And how laughing at a guy's ridiculous facial hair might get you some new mouse roommates. The creature this week is a giant from Christian folklore who hates paying attention in church. This is Myths and Legends, episode 284. To the point.
1: This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This time, we're back in the grim fairy tales, with the story of a princess who, surprisingly gets to actually make some choices about the person she marries. Unfortunately, those choices end up being her deciding to try out her insult comedy on any guy that walks into the castle. The king sighed. Look, he was really trying to meet his daughter halfway on this one. Really, he was the king but they were always one generation away from chaos. For the monarchy's continued existence, the princess needed to marry someone. They all had their different parts to play here. They talked about this. I see you nodding, so what's the deal? Why is this guy not good enough? The princess shrugged. She didn't know. It was obviously something. The king needed an answer because it seemed like she didn't want to marry anybody, which, as they've already gone over, was not an option. Fine, I hate his sideburns, the princess finally blurted out. The king raised his palms. There, all right, a dialogue. This guy can shave his sideburns. Then would she marry him? And his breath stinks, and he's pale as death, he stoops, and he holds his fork weird, so it looks like he's shoveling food in his mouth. The princess crossed her arms. Oh my gosh, what is this, an episode of Seinfeld? Please, meet me halfway here, the king asked. He was giving her a choice that a lot of kings didn't give princesses. Who she was going to marry. I hate his face and self and I hate him, the princess yelled. The room was silent. Can, can I leave now? The suitor, the man in question, asked. Yes! The king and the princess screamed in unison. The suitor prince kept it together long enough to leave the room. This was just a hurtful experience. Good luck in there, the prince blubbered to the next guy. He could tell from the guy's massive, pointy beard that he wasn't going to fare half as well with Roastmaster Princess. Oh my gosh, like, what do you use to style that thing? The princess broke out laughing when she saw the next suitor. His beard honed to a point and sticking off his face. It looks like a thrush's beak. Who does that? Uh, this guy, apparently. That's who. Next. Get out of here, King Thrush Beard. Yeah, that's your name now. That's what everybody's going to call you, King Thrushbeard. Oh, sorry. Hold up. I'll say it in a language you understand. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Ha! Fun. We have fun. Get out. When King Thrushbeard, because this was like middle school and the nickname stuck hard, when King Thrushbeard had left the room, closing the doors behind him, the Dag King shook with rage. That was enough. She could say no, but he wouldn't tolerate her being arrogant and cruel. "'Well, I learned from the best,' she said, then shook her head, carrying on a legacy. She knew whose legacy she was supposed to carry, not hers. She swatted a servant away who was cleaning the hall. Couldn't they see she was speaking here? "'Oh my gosh, that is it. You want me to be the bad king, I'll be the bad king,' the king said. "'You'll marry who I say you'll marry.' and I say you'll marry the next suitor who walks through that door. You're bluffing, the princess narrowed her eyes. The king, not breaking her gaze, told his servant, Hans, to bring in the next suitor, his new son-in-law. Um, there are no more, your majesty. She's... she's too mean. The king frowned. Well? They would wait to see who the next guy to walk through that door would be. It could be anybody. Oh, well, look at me, walking through the door, the servant, Hans, said. Not you, Hans. The king barked. Yes, your majesty. Hans bowed and left. Could have been a slow week for suitors. Could have been that the princess was just too mean. Regardless, new guys wanted to come subject themselves to the princess's insult comedy, so the king was getting a little antsy regarding his threat. Finally, though, they heard something from outside. Music. Hans, the king barked. That person outside playing music and begging in the street. Is he a reasonably attractive young man? The princess scowled. "Uh, Well, Hans started, but the king laughed. Didn't matter. Call him up. Could be a bluebeard for all he cared. The young-ish man, maybe in early to mid-twenties, froze when the king told him to stop in the doorway. You there, economically disadvantaged minstrel man, in the ragged clothes playing the lute. I loved your song out there. I don't have cash on hand, but for a reward? Would you like my daughter, the princess, as your wife? The minstrel said, I couple questions. First. What? Is this real? If it was, could they, like, I don't know, go on a date or something first? He heard she's very mean. Yeah, the king said, that's cute, but no. I've made a promise to marry her off to the first eligible bachelor who walks through that door, who's not Hans. So, your answer is yes. That's an order. The minstrel said, he guessed that was his answer then. The king clapped, good. Wedding time! Gonna be a cheap one too, because it's basically non-existent. The king called in the priest, and the man married the pair at once. The princess rolled her eyes afterward, and she said she would be in her room. This was ridiculous. But she found the guards blocking her way with their crossed spears. The princess ordered the men to step aside. The king said, what did she think she was doing, ordering the guards around? They were just doing their jobs. The princess said that she was going to her quarters. Get out of her way. No, sorry, I'm not going to let some rando beggar minstrel's wife mill around the palace. You have to leave with your husband. Okay, bye-bye now. The princess thought her dad had to be joking, but a couple of rough shoves from the guards told her that he wasn't. Soon, she was standing out in the street with her new husband, the minstrel another couple of hours trying to get back into her home and it was slowly sinking in that dad wasn't joking. She was actually married to this minstrel and the minstrel said she could do what she wanted but it was obvious she wasn't getting back into the castle. He had lost a whole day of playing on the street and they should get back before it got too late. Dark forest and all that. The princess, nearly on the verge of tears, said fine. She looked up at the palace with spite If her dad wanted her to live out by the dark forest with this horrible, stinky little man who's actually pretty terrible at his chosen instrument, then she would. I can hear everything you're saying. That's not like an internal monologue thing, the minstrel observed. The princess ignored him. Ugh, when would their carriage be by? The minstrel laughed. Oh, oh no, yeah. He had never been in a carriage in his life. They were walking. Is it my fault you didn't grab some cash before leaving the palace forever, so you could buy something better to walk in than princess shoes? the minstrel said, again, as the pair finally made it to the edge of the forest. The minstrel lived past the edge of her father's kingdom, through the forest. The princess looked around. She had never been out this far. Who owned this forest? King well King Thrushbeard, the minstrel laughed. The princess laughed too. Eek So that name stuck then. Hey, you just said what we all were thinking, the minstrel said. Seriously, who chooses that for a look? But hey, if you married him, all this could be yours. But his loss is my... something. The minstrel turned around to see the princess grimacing. They passed through the forest to find a meadow, also owned by Thrushbeard. Then, a large town emerged. Still Thrushbeard's, as the story points out. But this baby, this baby's all mine. The minstrel pointed to the one-room shack up ahead, in the shadow of the wall. This, this is where you live, the princess looked with disgust. Yeah, don't try to sound so impressed, the minstrel laughed. The pair opened what could be charitably called a door, and the princess held her cloak out. What are you doing? The minstrel asked, as he threw a log on the fire pit and blew on the banked coals. Princess retracted her arm in self-consciousness, but it was too late. Oh, you think we have servants. Ooh, I am embarrassed for you. No, you have to hang up your cloak yourself. How hard for you, he winced. The princess ignored his laughter and sat down by the fire. She was hungry. When was dinner? The minstrel said he didn't know. It was whenever she wanted to make her dinner he was going to eat some of the stale bread he had saved. He had been hoping to make some money to buy something to eat today, but, you know, being forced to marry a princess who hated him kind of disrupted his day. This wasn't the palace, though. For 99% of the people in the world, if you don't work, you don't eat. Welcome to the other side. The minstrel did take pity on the princess and give her some bread. He sighed as they stood over the single bed. Look, they were technically man and wife, but he understood that she hated him. She didn't ask for any of this, and frankly, neither did he. They would sleep separately, of course. He handed her a blanket, and you know what? She could have the bed. She snatched the blanket and moved to sit down, but he laughed. Just kidding. Neither of them had asked for this, and she had been super mean to him today. She got the floor. Watch out for the mice, though. They are very territorial.
0: We'll see the princess's new life outside the castle, but that will be right after this.
1: Oh my gosh, what time is it? The princess blinked. Morning time, the minstrel said, after throwing open the shutters and washing the hut in light. The princess sat up on the dirt floor. Morning, well, that's horrible. He could wake her at noon, Look, feel free to live somewhere else if you want, the minstrel said. She didn't have to stay in his hut. She did, however, need to help support herself if she stayed. The minstrel was literally begging on the street, and he couldn't feed both of them. Last night alone, he already knocked out a lot of his provisions. She had to have some sort of skill, right? He led her down by the river and pointed out the willows, cutting a whole batch of them and taking them back to the house. He returned after a long day of playing in the street to find the willows in something almost, but not completely different from the baskets that she had been trying to make. The minstrel exhaled. Okay, wow, that's... something. She showed her cut-up hands. Yeah. Is this what he wanted? Was this the plan all along? This is the early modern period. These cuts could be fatal. The minstrel said, no, that wasn't the plan. He wanted her to be able to make baskets so they could put some food on the table. It was obvious basket weaving was not her thing. He would dig into his provisions again tonight, and tomorrow they would come at it fresh. She tried spinning the following day, when the minstrel borrowed a spindle and distaff from his neighbor, but somehow the princess managed to cut her fingers on that, hard thread. Again, they dipped into the provisions. Finally, the minstrel found a solution that couldn't possibly cut the princess's hands. Mud. Well, clay. She would make some earthenware pots. He would bake them, and they would sell them in the street. We've all had ideas that don't work out, so you might know the relief the princess felt when, at the very end of the minstrel's provisions, she made her first sale. Then, her next. Then, pots were flying from her stand at the corner. She made back everything she had used of the minstrels, and soon the minstrel was taking part of his day to collect clay for her and fire the finished pieces. Then, one day, as he was taking the pots to the princess at her stand in the street, he slowed. She was surrounded. The minstrel heard the laughter before any of the words. The princess was surrounded by men. Rich men. No, this is her, the man said, pointing at the princess. She was the one who was too good to marry any of us. One of the princess's old suitors said, she had called him Turnip Head, because his head looked like a turnip. It wasn't creative, but it did completely shatter Turnip's head's sense of self. Look at her now, though, Turnip Head said. The princess held her head high, ignoring them. You will pay attention to me when I'm speaking to you, the man barked. And, bearing his walking stick, smashed the pots on either side of the woman. She didn't give him the satisfaction of doing what he said. So he and his buddies took their sticks and smashed the rest of her inventory. The minstrel dropped the pots he was carrying and ran to the princess as the men walked off, laughing. And the princess just sat there, looking at weeks worth of work, work that she and the minstrel needed to eat, smashed on the stone path. Come on, let's go the minstrel said. I should have married one of them, the princess said to no one in particular on the way home. Uh, Well, no, definitely not, the minstrel said, not because he was jealous or anything, but because no one should marry any of those guys. Who smashes pots in the street? Who does that? Well, then, at least I shouldn't have been so mean, the princess said. The minstrel nodded. Sure, that was a better takeaway but they kind of seemed like they deserved it. Besides, if you had married someone like that, you never would have discovered any of this. They were back at the hut now. Discovered crushing poverty? The princess asked. The minstrel laughed. No, that she could make it on her own. That the worst could happen and she would be fine. She had been supporting both of them for months on the money from her pottery. That was all her. She had started over alone and it was okay. Well, not completely alone, the princess said and kissed the minstrel on the cheek. Both froze for a minute. I'll clean up, the princess said as the minstrel announced that he would start dinner, neither of them really addressing what had just happened. Princess did not care to go back to the street to sell pottery, and the minstrel didn't blame her. Luckily, the minstrel had some friends in the court of King Thrushbeard. He was friends with the servant, the guy who played music for one of the lesser nobles. So, you know, it's a pretty big deal. He didn't know why he didn't think of the Sooner, but they were looking for a new kitchen maid. They thought the previous one was just a person in a funny-looking coat, but it turned out to be an ogre, so they had to hunt it down and kill it. Regardless... There was an opening. He put in a good word, and the princess was a shoe in With her manners and knowledge of etiquette, she would be great. And she was. Working in the castle was a fantastic fit. The princess was right at home, even though she had been tasked with the dirtiest, most demeaning jobs. She had to be available to cook at all hours, and to do anything asked of her. But she knew what it took to survive. So she rose to the occasion. She also had a secret. The princess and her husband had started sleeping in the same bed, as the princess accepted her new life, and frankly, grew to love the minstrel. She never thought she would find happiness, and contentment, in a hut in the shadow of the city walls, but here they were. Still, because they shared a bed, the minstrel could feel when she got up in the night, which she did, every night. He sat up when he heard her whisper. and She startled when he struck a match and lit a lantern. The mice all around her broke and ran. The princess was squatting on the wood floor with a jar in her hand. She rose, sheepishly, and said that she could explain. When she took the job in the castle, she knew how much food they threw away. She had been a princess, after all, and she also knew how difficult it was to be hungry. The mice she shared the floor with when she first came to the shack, she could see that they were suffering as she had suffered. So, she would take scraps from the plates she cleared in the castle, keep them in a small jar in the pocket of her dress, and bring them home each night to feed the mice. Uh, She was sorry. She knew how much the minstrel hated the mice, but she couldn't bear to see them suffer. The minstrel didn't even have words. He hugged the princess his wife, and said that she had empathy for mice. She had grown so much. Then he looked at the growing crowd of eyes who, accustomed to the light, wanted their treats. Hey, you think we could, you know, feed them outside from now on? Maybe? The princess looked too. Yeah, there were a lot more of them now than when she started.
0: We'll see that the princess has a secret, but that will, once again, be right after this.
1: It was the night of the wedding. King Thrushbeard had met someone, and it was all hands on deck. Since the princess had joined the kitchens almost a year ago, she had hardly seen Thrushbeard, except a few times in passing at the ends of halls and stuff. She spent most of her time with the rest of the servants. She was fine with that. Tonight though, as part of Thrushbeard's way of saying thanks, he invited all the servants to attend the dance. That's how the princess found herself at the edge of the room, watching Thrushbeard and dozens of other nobles dancing with their spouses. This... had once been her world, but she had come so far since those days. She had been cruel, petty, and demeaning because she thought she was so much better than everyone. Now, her best friends were people she would have commanded to not even look at her when she was a princess, and the princess froze. The whole room was looking at her. King Thrushbeard was standing before her, and he was holding out his arm. Could he have this dance? The princess said, Why? King Thrushbeard shrugged. He can't ask a beautiful woman to dance? Probably not at your own wedding reception, the princess said. Then shrugged herself. Sure, you know what? Fine. She would dance. I know who you are, King Thrushbeard said, as the room watched the pair on the dance floor. You're that princess who gave me the nickname. (laughs) Thanks for that, by the way, the king said. The princess said that she was sorry that was a long time ago. It felt like a different life now. She had been callow and cruel. She didn't know how much she had hurt people, people all around her, because she had never lived any other life than that of a princess. Still, it was a reason for her callousness, but not an excuse. Well, I forgive you, King Thrushbeard said. Then he looked down awkwardly. Oh, the room was all chuckles. As the pair danced, The jar in the princess's pocket had jostled. The scraps of food that she was collecting for the mice had been spilling out. The people in the hall might have thought it pitiful if they weren't so jealous of the princess. They laughed. Oh, she was struggling so much that she needed to steal scraps of food from half-eaten dishes? How hilarious. The princess stopped dancing and started picking up the food, apologizing to the king. She scowled at the crowd. It wasn't for her. It was for the mice in her hut, that didn't sound better. When she was finished and closed the jar, she stood, bowing. She told King Thrushbeard that she wished him all the happiness in the world. She needed to get home now. I'll never be happy, King Thrushbeard said. I'll never be happy without you. Princess didn't take another step. She turned around. What? King Thrushbeard stepped forward. He had loved her from the moment he saw her that day at her father's palace. Uh, she told him to maybe think about what he was saying here. He just got married. That wasn't the best start of a marriage. No, I didn't. Get married, that is, King Thrushbeard said. He stepped forward. He knew she had been working in the kitchen after her father had thrown her out. This had all been to bring her here. The wedding today wasn't between Thrushbeard and some noble's daughter. The wedding today was between Thrushbeard and the princess he would love for the rest of his life. If, of course, she would have him. I'm already married, the princess said, vacillating between rushing out the door and rushing back to the life she always knew to be hers. Yeah, to a wandering minstrel... That was a cruel joke your dad played. But the curse one king laid on you can be undone by another king. I have the power to annul your marriage. It never happened. If he speaks of it or you, I can have him exiled or executed. The princess only needed to say yes. Stay here with him in the castle. The princess smiled. That's something she would have said, too that he was just a wandering minstrel, that people were defined and limited by what they could do for you or how much you could use them until you cast them away. But he wasn't just a minstrel. He was a good man. He had helped her find a part of herself that she never knew. She wished King Thrushbeard a good life, but that life would not include her. Like she said, she had to get home. The only sounds in the room were of her footsteps, as the crowd stood in shock at the kitchen maid who turned down a fairy tale life to go live in her rodent infested shack in the shadow of the wall. Princess, Thrushbeard said, one more thing. The princess spun around. Seriously, Thrushbeard needed to understand that the answer. But she wasn't looking at the heavily bearded face of King Thrushbeard, she was looking at the face of her husband. The minstrel, he was standing in the king's clothes, fake beard in his hand. The minstrel had been King Thrushbeard, and King Thrushbeard had been the minstrel the whole time. Thrushbeard, the minstrel, had been listening outside the door when her father yelled at her. He shaved, not in the least because he was super self-conscious of his beard, but also so he could become the minstrel. The whole thing with the shack had been to help the princess gain a different perspective on life. It had been a whole Nathan Fielder-style deception, where each day after the princess left, Thrushbeard would have a crew come and touch up his disguise and bring in moldy, rotten food and buckets of mice to restock the place. It was a whole production. He was sorry for the deception, though. The princess said, Yeah, that was a lot to process, but... Ultimately, it had helped her grow. She embraced the man who had been her husband all along, and together, they celebrated their wedding. Thrushbeard had invited the princess's father to the celebration. Who said she figured it out? Good for her. He was in on it the whole time. He wasn't. He had no idea. He forced you into marriage to a stranger just to be vindictive, Thrushbeard whispered. The princess politely hugged her father. Bet you're glad to be out of that hut the princess's father said, and not to be married to just some minstrel anymore. Now your true happiness can begin. The princess, an arm around her husband, said that her true happiness had already begun. Out in that hut. Married, not to a minstrel, not to a king, but to a good man. This was a nice story. I did make some slight changes. In the original, it's King Thrushbeard, Master of Disguises, that pretends to be some random drunk guy, and smashes the princess's pots when she's selling them in the street. I thought, one, this was a weird way to help the princess learn empathy, and kind of out of character for Thrushbeard, and two, it would be a good way to have the princess reckon with her past, and see her current place in the world in comparison with those she had once mocked. Additionally, I filled out the ending scene a bit more with the princess actively choosing the minstrel, instead of Thrushbeard just announcing that he was actually her husband, when she started to flee, after the stuff fell out of her pocket. It doesn't contradict things, because she does in fact choose the minstrel, slash Thrushbeard in the end, in that she doesn't not choose them, she just kind of goes along with everything. I like the story as one where a character learns empathy, kindness, and respect for all types of people and living things. But... think it's only a slight turn away from Thrushbeard's stated goal in the actual story of quote, humbling her proud spirit and punishing her for mocking him.
0: If you're looking for something else to listen to, check out our other show with cast media, Scoundrel History's Forgotten Villains. We have a new episode out about two girls in their home in 1800s upstate New York. They're playing pranks on their mom and accidentally spark an international movement. Check it out by following the link in the show notes or by searching for Scoundrel wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The creature this week is a giant named Ophorus from Christian folklore. What happens when the old world meets the new? Well, a queen prayed to the Virgin Mary for a baby. And when they had the baby, he was dedicated to the god Apollo. This apparently meant that he was going to be super strong and fearless, and also a giant. When you're a giant born to a king, you have pretty much one career path: famous hero knight. So Offerus left home and joined the household of another king. But he didn't want to serve just anyone. He wanted to serve the bravest, mightiest of kings. And the king he was serving, while brave, would grimace and shirk at mention of the devil. Now. Ophorus was more of a sword fighting, pounding things to a pulp with his fists guy, than a reading, paying attention in church guy. The devil? What was the devil? The king explained the basics of his faith to Ophorus, and Offerus, I guess, very much missing the point, said that he would find this devil, and serve the more powerful, fearless king. The devil, whose ears must have been burning, and not for the obvious reason, met Ophorus at the crossroads and surprised that he didn't need a contract or a fiddle duel, accepted Offerus into his service. Things were going... Well, I don't know. I've had some bad bosses, but none of them were literally the devil, I think. Regardless, one day, Offerus noticed something. The devil also shirked... From crosses. The devil explained... I mean, kind of a lot about Jesus and the cross. The devil accidentally worked against his own interests here because Ofris the giant tendered his resignation to the devil. If the devil was afraid of this Jesus guy, Ofris was going to go find Jesus. Literally. It took years, and after many confusing conversations with people who were happy to help him find Jesus, but not like that, Ofris came to a hermit, who was... kind of tricky. He said Ofris could find Jesus through fasting and prayer. Ofris said, No, that was uncomfortable and boring. Also, he probably flexed, and asked the hermit if he knew what fasting would do to these. The hermit sighed, um, okay. Offerous could use all of his strength that he was so crazy about to carry travelers across the river out front. And so, Offerous did. He didn't have any better leads on how to find Jesus, so he spent years carry ferrying other travelers across the river, until one night, a child arrived a lone child traveler in the Middle Ages didn't strike Ophorus as strange. It was also not weird that the child wanted to be carried across the river in the dead of night. Offrus found that he could barely carry this child when they made it halfway, and when they were almost all the way there, Ophorus felt like he was going to drown as the water started closing in around him. The brave knight that had ridiculed the kings of the earth, and the devil himself for their fear, now trembled. That was when he made the connection. This child had to be over like 300 pounds. The child said, B- keep going. And also, it was the Christ child. Ophorus prayed to God for strength and soldiered on to the other side of the river. And placing the child down, learned that the weight he felt was Christ taking on the weight of the world's sins. It was a metaphor, but it was also actual weight. So, I don't know. The giant followed the child's command to stick his staff in the beach. And just after the child told Ophorus that he would now go by the name Christophorus, bearer of the Christ, the child disappeared. The staff that Christophorus planted on the beach sprouted leaves and grew into a fruit tree. Christophorus, now content that he served the mightiest of kings, went around telling everyone who would listen of his new master. And unfortunately, he still lived in a violent age where monarchs were touchy about their reputation. So, when he told the local king that he served a mightier king, the local king was having none of that, hunted down Christophorus the giant, tortured him for months, and beheaded him. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises, LLC.